This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The 15th annual survey of public opinion on education policy and practice has just been released. The survey polls a representative cross-section of the American public, and this year, a representative sample of children, or at least children as seen by their parents if the child is of school age. The findings are especially significant because the survey allows us to compare public opinion in 2019 before the pandemic had begun with public opinion in the summer of 2021 when school is coming to an end after having been closed or only online for much of the year. So I am a member of the team that designed the survey, so I'm guilty of any bad moves that were done by the analysts, but I'm going to blame it all today on one of the team's survey directors who's responsible for maintaining the integrity of the poll. He's David Houston, an assistant professor of education at George Mason University. Of course, I was kidding. David, it was great working with you and the poll is perfect from beginning to end. I'm looking forward to discussing the results with you today. Certainly, that's what we aspire to. It's, it's wonderful to be here, Paul. Well, David, I have my own ideas about what findings are especially significant in these surveys, but uh, let me first ask you what you think is your the most surprising finding that, that comes out of the survey. The most surprising finding. Well, I guess let me think about this for a moment. This has been a this has been a crazy year. This is the, the biggest disruption in K-12 schooling in living memory. Most students were learning um, from home rather than in their in their classrooms for the greater part of a year, if not longer, you know, class consisted of, you know, watching your teacher via Zoom or Google Teams or WebEx or, you know, name your software platform of choice rather than, you know, sitting on the rug or, um, or in your desk in a row or in a circle is what a, what a wildly different experience of schooling uh, for children across our country. I think the most surprising finding um, is parents' persistent uh, response that that they are satisfied with uh, with what their what their local schools have been providing over the last year, and there's you know there's an important asterisk, there's an important caveat to this answer because I don't know if when parents say that they're satisfied with the current schools offering, it's because this is the optimal version. I think they're responding that they're satisfied in order to indicate that they think schools and educators are doing the best they can under adverse, extremely adverse circumstances. But it was a surprise, if, if partially a pleasant surprise, um, to see the resilience of parents um, after such a difficult year um, and still, you know, giving their local schools and giving their local educators the benefit of the doubt. I thought that was a that was a pleasant surprise to me. Well, it was a surprise. I agree with you on that, because a lot of people out there had been saying that, pe- that parents are just getting uh, ferociously angry at what's going on in our schools. And of course, Uh, On TV, you can see parents marching around, but these are usually small groups of people, not the broad section that you capture when you do a poll, such as we have done here. So that is a surprise. Still, on the other side of that coin is parents reported that their children were suffering under this system. A very sizable percentage uh, said that there were losses in academic knowledge, social relationships, emotional uh, well-being, even physical well-being. Uh, so parents were not uh, sticking their head in the sand. 
I think that's exactly right. And there was, you know, no holds barred when people responded in terms of the extent of the negative implications of this last year. You know, parents said that their their kids were learning less than they otherwise would have, you know, had the pandemic not occurred, that they were doing worse emotionally, that they were doing worse socially, that they were doing worse physically. Uh, this is, it's been such a hard year and parents are very candid about that. I think that's right. Well, the other surprise to me was the fact that the general public, because we surveyed both the general public as well as the parents in the spring of 2021, the other surprise for me was that people really didn't want a lot of change. You know, the commentators out there, both on the left and the right, have been saying, you know, this disruptive year is going to generate an interest in rethinking our school system from the bottom up. No, we didn't see any evidence of that. I think that, yes, that's exactly right. This was the other really notable finding of the poll. You know, I, I went into this expecting, you know, I didn't have a really clear prior belief on this, whether the public would shift to the right or shift to the left, but I expected it to shift somehow. And it didn't. And that's not what we see. In fact, you know, one of the cool things about the Education Next poll is that there's a battery of questions, a little over a dozen of them, that we ask with the identical question wording year after year after year, some of which all the way back to 2008. Uh, And so we do this so that we can track public opinion on various issues of education policy and education reform over time, things like spending or teacher salaries or charter schools or merit-based pay for teachers or the common core standards, things like that. And what we saw across the board was declining support for everything. You know, declining support for right-leaning reforms, declining support for left-leaning reforms. What to make of that, you know, I generally, I, I my read on it is that the public just wants the, the, their old schools back. And they say, let's pause on all of the change. Uh, that, that, that's my read, but that's a little bit of speculation on my part. Well, I think it's fair to add that it's an easing of support for change for these. We don't, there's a couple of items, I think it was free tuition at four-year colleges, that, that fell off the cliff. But, yeah, but yeah. oh, we see an easing of support for most of these ideas. It's not like, the public never changes its opinion too much overnight. And we don't see dramatic uh, pullback here, but we, we don't see the opposite for sure. We don't see any new enthusiasm for change. We see instead a pulling back to the status quo, as you said. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely correct. So one of the other things about the poll that is sort of neat is we asked them to compare schools to the police and, uh, and the post office. So uh, can you explain how we did that to our listeners? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the recurring questions that we ask year after year after year um, is we, you know, we start off by saying students are often given a grade of, you know, A, B, C, D or fail to, you know, denote the quality of their work. What if we graded all of the local public schools this way? What if we graded all the schools in the nation this way? What grade would you give them? And so we've asked this question for a long time and we've tracked the percentage of the population that gives their local schools or the country schools an A or a B. Um, and you know, we've, we've seen that interestingly 
rise over time. Americans have gotten more optimistic or more confident or more satisfied with their with their schools over time since we started asking that question. But and also, you know, to put it in context, you know, this year and a few years back and a few years before then, we also asked the same question about other locally provided public services, uh, like policing or the local post office, to get a sense of not just the, the change in time in the public's perceptions of their schools, but also, you know, comparing their satisfaction with those public services versus other locally provided institutions. So we asked the same questions about local and national policing, and we asked the same questions about local and national postal services in 2021. And, you know, folks have been, you know, gradually getting more optimistic about their schools, but they still give their schools worse grades than the local police and the local post office. So let's just sort of underline that. The local post office hits a home run, I think. It did back in 2008 when we first did this, and it still is doing it, though not quite as good as it used to, but it's still in first place. And, uh, and then the police do reasonably well, surprisingly well, given all of the critiques that are out there of the police departments uh, around the country, uh, and the schools have been lagging behind. So, so schools, especially when viewed in the nation as a whole, fall way behind. And even at the local level, when you're asked about your local school, it does it comes in third place uh, with respect to these institutions. That's correct. But there's another side to that, right? So if, if you're asking about the level versus the trend, you know, the, the, the trend in schooling has been towards, you know, greater satisfaction. The trend in um, the post office has been in, in declining satisfaction. Um, and so, which is, you know, it complicates the story somewhat. The other way that you can break this down is breaking it down by race and ethnicity, uh, where, you know, and particularly on the question of policing. Policing has been a, a, a very important story in the news over the last year and a half, uh, you know, in response to the George, George Floyd mur murder, um, multiple instances of police brutality, um, a reckoning of, uh, of race and policing in the United States. But we see that trend diverge. Among white Americans, we actually still see a slight uptick in support for local police. And we see the inverse among Black Americans. We see a, a noteworthy downtick in support for local police. And the Hispanics are sort of interesting because they, they are a different story. They, they have always had a fairly high evaluation of all of these institutions. They're sort of, I always think of them as compared to back home, it looks pretty good in this country. That's the way I look at the uh, response from the Hispanic community, because they give pretty positive grades across the board, and they have not given the police the same, uh, the trend line for Hispanics is not in the same direction, or at least not to the same pronounced degree as it is in the African-American community. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, as to the reason why we see these racial and ethnic differences, I think there are a lot of a lot of factors that go into it that are that are tough to tease out when we look at these top line numbers. Um, but the, certainly the racial and ethnic differences are, are noteworthy, and, and particularly when you look at the white and black gap, pretty large. So when you turn to the question of vaccinations, which is on everybody's mind right now, as the Delta variant is 
coming online, which is after our poll. Our poll was administered in June. So we got responses to this question uh, before the Delta variant uh, had uh, appeared uh, on the nightly news uh, day in and day out. So things might be different now, but but back then I was, that, I would add to this as one of the surprises, the, a very substantial number of children will not be vaccinated if parent opinion does not change from where it was back in uh, June. And so do you have any thoughts on, on that? You know, this year, the, the 2021 Ed Next poll is a little, little bit different than, than years past. It's basically two pol- polling products in one. You know, there's, on one hand, there's our traditional annual nationally representative survey of Americans on their attitudes towards education issues. We've done that every year since 2007. As I mentioned before, we repeat a bunch of questions each year so we can track opinion over time. We also ask a bunch of new questions based on topical issues. Um, and that's sort of, you know, a standard product that we come out with in the, we conduct it in the spring or early summer every year. And when we write about it in the late summer, early fall. But as, as we We've been talking, you know, this has been a, a particularly unusual year for K-12 education. It's been so disruptive and so unprecedented. So for the last year, we've also been simultaneously conducting a parent poll. Last spring, we started it. We d- conducted it again in the fall. Uh, and we, we conducted it again uh, alongside our, our annual national poll. The way that we do this is pretty cool. Uh, so what we do is we recruit a national representative sample of parents of school-age children. And then when they begin the the survey, we ask them to fill out a simple little table of, you know, tell us about your kids. You know, how old are they? What grade are they in? What kind of school do they go to? Gender, you know, other demographic information. And once we have a roster for every kid, every school-age kid for every parent respondent, then we have those parents answer all of our questions for each child. What this lets us do is that when we report our findings, the the unit of analysis here is children, not parents. So when we say that, you know, 52% of school-age children were learning in person as of June or, you know, the end of the school year or so, uh, we we can capture this uh, student-level variation, which is something really cool that we can contribute to the conversation. I'll segue back to the vaccine question now. Uh, which is we asked parents back in late May, early June, whether, you know, once vaccines were approved for their child, would they, do they plan on vaccinating their children? And only 51% said that they were definitely or probably going to vaccinate their child once they were, once those vaccines were approved. Um, Noteworthy that 20% still said they don't know. You know, we asked this question at the end of the school year, and I think we all optimistically assumed that, you know, maybe this question would feel less relevant come September or October of the school year getting rolling. And alas, alack, it's still eminently relevant. Of course, we have to admit one thing, and that is as of today, and and certainly as of the time of the poll, uh, the FDA had not given approval to vaccination of children under the age of 12. So that's correct. They had recently given approval to 12 through 17. Um, 
And, and I think actually our question reflected that. We asked in that question, would you get your child vaccinated at the time that it gets approval from the FDA? Or we, we put that as a proviso in there. That's correct. Uh, so, um, so we covered that, but still it was at a time when a lot of people weren't really thinking about vaccinating their young children. And we see lower vaccination rates being um, authorized or acknowledged as likely uh, for the youngest children. But it's not a big difference. Even those older children, there's plenty of parents out there who are a little bit, and I just noticed in the paper to just this week that, um, that in England, they have only just now authorized vaccinations for people under the age of 18. So it's not like it's a, it's a universal out there that you get teenagers uh, benefit from a vaccination. It's only just now that the, the British have come around to the, that point of view. So, so it's not like this is a terribly uh, a screwy opinion as sometimes I think anti-vaccination opinion is being a little older than these kids myself. I, I sort of wonder why wouldn't you get vaccinated? So what do you think? Why is there such hesitancy here among parents? Well, I mean, certainly vaccines have been politicized. We see a big breakdown by the party identification of the parent. Um, so um, children of parents who identify as Democrat, about two thirds of those, two, parents representing two thirds of those children say that they definitely or probably will uh, vaccinate their kids once those vaccines are approved. That number declines to you know one third when we look at children whose parents identify as Republican. So I mean, I have to think it's, it's been, it's, it's the politics of vaccine that play into this question. So you would say then that, um, I agree with you on this politicization thing, because we see it again on masking, right? Yes, we see it on masking, we see it on um, social distancing in school, we see it on should a remote option be allowed um, for younger kids or older kids. We see a pretty consistent partisan divide uh, with uh, children of Democrats um, being more likely to have parents who say they support these mitigating measures and um, children of Republicans being less supportive. Well, the other major finding that comes from the parent survey is the fact that the parents of children in private school um, had a better experience than those, uh, or at least are reporting a better experience uh, than those who have children in district schools and to some extent in charter schools. So uh, could you give, uh, what's the breakdown there? Sure, I don't have those numbers right at, the, at my fingertips, but you're absolutely right. We see higher rates of satisfaction with schools instruction and activities among private school parents compared to um, their, uh, their charter school and, and traditional district school counterparts. My, my hunch on this, my read on this, is that we saw a higher percentage of private schools offering in-person instruction during this time period. And when we do our own number crunching, we see in-person instruction highly correlated with satisfaction. And so I suspect the sector differences are in some ways a function of this learning modality difference between sectors. Well, I, my guess is that private schools felt they had to be open in person if they weren't going to lose their constituency. Who's gonna pay a lot of money to learn online. 
And uh, so that probably is a big driver of the differences across these uh, across these sectors. Mm-hmm. Notably, you know, I, I think that's right. The you know sectors face different incentive structures, uh, but we also don't see, at least according to parental reports, we do see big differences, but in favor of non um, non district schools in terms of the you know how how harmful were the negative impacts of the school's attempts to respond to COVID nineteen. Parents in of kids in private schools uh, were less likely to say that their their kids lost learning time or suffered ac- academic harm or social or emotional harm um, than their than their public school counterparts. Well, all of this is uh, food for thought, and if you uh, want to learn more about this, you should go to the Education Next website and see the full set of results that uh, are reported out there on on the website. So thank you, David, for joining me on the Education Exchange. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul. I have been speaking with David Houston, an assistant professor of education at George Mason University and one of the survey directors for the 2021 Education X Survey of American Public Opinion. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.